Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, I'm here with Angela Hascom of the Timbernook franchise or the Timbernook movement. I, I'm really excited to talk to you. So welcome to the Forest Educator. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a great pleasure. I, I'm really curious because I've known about you for a long time. You've done this for, you know, a few years now. And you're you're in a lot of ways someone that every people will look up to you, I think, because you've written this really amazing book. You're you're you've done like an incredible amount of of work to get a book published. And, you know, you people really sort of look to you for guidance and everything. And I'm just curious about how that happened. Is there a good story that you have to share a little bit about that process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is kind of an interesting story because, you know, this work was never planned for me. I My dream in life was to be an occupational therapist and to work in a clinic setting, which is more traditional for us. It was never to, to be out in the woods with children. Like this was not in my agenda. And right. I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty stubborn person. So like, you know, it took a lot of like knocking on my door for me to pay attention. And, you know, it kind of started with having my own children. And when I, so I have three children, I have two teenage daughters. Now I've got one that's 18. She's going to be, this is her senior year. And then I have a seven-year-old son. So, but really like when I had my own children, that's when I started to really pay attention to, you know, what was happening around me. And so, yeah, a series of events kind of happened in my life that just got my attention. So the first thing was I worked in a all different settings. I've worked in hospitals. I've worked with adults was my first job. Quickly realized that was not my thing. And then I worked in schools. I worked with preemies when babies first go home. But most of my experience comes from working in what we call a sensory clinic. And a doctor will often refer to an occupational therapist when there's issue with any of the senses, you know, maybe they're not registering their name. If you're like Tommy, 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 and they finally register, they're having trouble paying attention in in school, that sort of thing. And so they'll refer for an occupational therapy to help with the occupation of school or the occupation of play, something that's kind of impacting them from living out their occupation fully. And so when I was in a clinic setting, there was just interesting sensory issues I was observing. So for instance, one little boy came in to see me that didn't like wind in his face. And I remember thinking, how do I treat that indoors? Like, do I get a fan and blow the fan on the child? You know, a lot of kids not wanting to get dirty. They don't want glue on their fingers. But the number one issue that we were really having to treat is balance. So kids, um, Teachers were reporting that kids were literally falling out of their chairs in school, running into each other more frequently. And this has been like a significant increase in the amount of needs for kids to to receive special services. So occupational therapy was kind of pretty rare. Like when I was growing up in the early 80s, it was more reserved for children with more, you know, like cerebral palsy or Down syndrome. It wasn't, you know, like many children needing occupational therapy. And I worked at one clinic where we just couldn't meet the demands of the kids anymore. So we had a wait list that went out at least a year before we could even get to the next child. And 
you couldn't hire enough therapists. Like we're in a building. So traditionally we're found indoors, right? In schools and hospitals and clinics. And so this whole idea of being outdoors was very foreign for our profession. So then around that time, I, I decided when I had my second daughter that I didn't want to work anymore. I was like going to enjoy their childhood. I had no plans to work. And so yeah. I joined a mom's group. That was kind of the thing to do at the time. I met other moms and I started, people started asking me questions because I knew that I was, you know, an occupational therapist and they were asking me really interesting questions. Like, why is my child spinning all the time? And another one asked me, why can't my child pay attention in preschool? And I was like, these are, these are really interesting. But the big catalyst for all of it was actually when my daughter, oldest daughter went to kindergarten. And I remember the teacher looking at us and like, and said, this is not kindergarten. Like you remember growing up. She said, this is really more like first grade. She goes, my husband's going to pre-cut everything at nighttime. So you don't have to worry about that skill. She said, if kids can't tie their shoes, put like elastic laces on or Velcro because we don't have time to teach your children how to tie their shoes. Right. Um, five minutes for snack. She said, but if that gets in the way of curriculum, it will be a working snack. So they'll have to like eat while they do their paperwork. <laughs> and then she said 15 minutes for recess. And um, in New England, in New Hampshire, where I live, um, there's snow most of the year. And she said, when it snows, we will not bring your children outdoors for recess because we don't have time to change your children into their gear. So this whole theme of no time for developmental skills <laughs> kept coming up. And as a therapist that works on developmental skills to help to help yeah. them, this didn't really sit right. So I ended up pulling my child out and homeschooling and learning yeah. Waldorf education. Right. I learned, you know, about the natural rhythms and movement throughout the day. I learned a lot about Reggio Emilia, where the environment is the third teacher and the inspiration. And I was really fascinated by Finland, where the kids were in the river dissecting fish to learn about ecology. You know, they were barefoot half the time. They didn't even start school till age seven and, you know, graduated and went to trades age 16, but we're scoring way higher than we were here in America. So that really fascinated me. So around that time, when I was homeschooling, I noticed there was not a lot of children playing outdoors. And we live in a rural area, but we, I take a shortcut sometimes to get to our property that's in the middle of the woods. And I was just, it dawned on me one day, I was like, where are the kids? Why are they not biking to each other's house? Yeah. Staying outdoors till lights went on. So I knew at that time, to, I wanted to do something outdoors for children. I thought it was in the form of nature classes <laughs> until I ran my first one. And I had a parent come up to me with, with her son in hand. And she was like, can you please tell my son why the leaves change color? And I was like, uh, it has something to do with a pigment in the leaf. Like I was trying to remember it from my science classes in high school. Right, right. And I'm like, wait. And I really, I, you know, I reflected on that. I'm like, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an environmentalist or a naturalist. And really at that time, those were the professionals that were running these nature programs. And I kept thinking, what does an occupational therapist have anything to do with nature programs? And so what I've learned over the years is that the occupation of children, the most important occupation for children is play. Outdoor play is a really meaningful occupation that is incredibly at risk in ways that we never anticipated. And so the whole mission behind Timbernook is to restore the occupation of outdoor play, but to make it as authentic and as real as possible. And that's why it's so therapeutic. 
it's because it's not directed by an adult. It's child-driven. There is true neighborhood play. There's mixed ages. It's deep play. There's hours of it. They have the time and the space and the opportunity. And so that started that whole trend of doing this work. I kind of fell into it like by all these series of events. And what happened was I had a friend that was in marketing and she said, I think you should do summer camps because I think you'll find parents more likely to drop their children off. And so I'm like, (laughs) an occupational therapist running a summer camp. I was like, all right, I'll do one week of summer camp. I'm not trained for this, right? So she's like, do three because it's easier to market. So I did three weeks of summer camp. I went to the University of New Hampshire and I reached out to the occupational therapy department there. Because I thought, what a great mentorship for those OT students to see yeah. for its therapeutic value. I took four volunteers. I had no idea what I was getting to. I didn't realize I was starting a business at the time. I was just going to do it for summer. And I ran three weeks of camp, filled the programs. At the end of it, it was successful. I was like, I am never doing that again because <laughs> it was so much work. And so, and often like an OT will work one-on-one with a child or yeah. a small we're not used to directing large groups of, so I really did not realize how much work it was. I also had no business experience. So that, that was really successful. And I was like, oh, let's see what happens, you know. Um, but those four OT students went back to university and told other OT students. And I had 14 volunteers reach out for the following year. And then I had a wildlife ecologist and an educator reach out to me and saying, can we help? And at the time I was like, no, I'm not, but like, again, paying attention. And so one of the teachers said, wouldn't it be fun to do stories in nature? And she said, we could do three little pigs and we could sit at tables. And after hearing the story, you could build a little house out of hay, a little house out of sticks, a little house out of bricks. And as a therapist, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great to bring real bales of hay in the woods, real heavy bricks, you know, bales of hay, wolf masks, (laughs) And so they're engaging the muscles, living and breathing the story. And it's on a, it's a higher level of, of learning and play. And she was like, yes. And so that changed that first summer where I was really, I was really just engaging them and doing adult directed activities that were my ideas to yes. be about a play experience where it's designed to create change in the child, but they don't bring home a product. It's in a play experience. And so Every year after that point, I'd say, I'll do it one more year. <laughs> and what happened was three years into it, at nine o'clock, I released my camps. By 9.02, I had wait lists for all four, all four weeks. And I had two parents call crying, saying, hey, my kid got into your program last year, but didn't get in this year. Right. You know, what are you going to do about that? Yeah, I, was yeah. like, I was like, I don't know, because like I, my plan was not to work. I did yeah. not want nine weeks of summer camp I you know and so that's when I realized that this was something that was a gift and I needed to share it It had nothing to do with me as an individual and so I went to get business mentors and brought the concept and so Timbernick is a licensed opportunity it's actually not a franchise but it's a licensed opportunity so businesses um, nonprofits, we have nature organized you know businesses come and they train in Timbernick and become licensed to operate this programming and um, so my plan at the point was just market in New England because that would have been easy. <laughs> but again, my plan keeps getting shot out of the water. And what I, happened was I wrote an article called Why Kids Fidget and What We Can Do About It. 
and it went incredibly viral on my blog. And so it had over a thousand comments. It got picked up by the Washington Post and then that exploded. They sold World Rights That article in 2012. It got picked up by Times India, Jerusalem Post, I ended up doing a TED talk for Johnson & Johnson in front of 100,000 people. And that's how the book Balance of Barefoot came about. And it was clearly this message of how we're overly restricting children's ability to move and play. And there is so much that is now affecting their development. And if we do nothing, we're going to continue to cause harm. And so that's how Timbernick went to Australia. And it's now in the UK and throughout Canada and the US. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that is incredible. What a what a cool story. I mean, I mean, apart from all the hard work you've, you've had to do and a lot of new work, like you have, or like, hey, I just went through all this training just to be an occupational therapist. And now I've got to learn this and I got to learn that. But but man, what a great story. Just because it's just, you know, you're like perfectly positioned to, you know, have that impact and also then get traction to make change. Because a lot of people have a great idea, but then they 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 don't get any traction. You know, they don't have a viral article or they don't have, you know, all those parents calling about it. Like so, so this is just beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of of like a lot of, a lot of things just all coming together. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. The thing that I noticed I, when you were saying how you were, the children in kindergarten were not allowed to play, you know, not, you know, they're going to cut playtime short. They're going to, you know, work through their snack. They, they're going to be no time for their to tying their shoes or anything like that. I just felt myself feel really angry. And yeah. I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> Like, I know you went like, oh, then we just decided to homeschool. I was like, no, you skipped over the step of like, yeah, uh, you know, like just saying to yourself in your mind, like, what are you guys talking about? This is kindergarten. Are you guys insane? Like what, what is happening to you people? And how did you guys come up with that decision? Like, I'm just, it boggles my mind. It still boggles my mind that that is a thing. And that, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that was for you, but oh my gosh. I think that's why like I started finding my voice and writing articles. So I yes. then I started writing for the Washington Post for a while and just wrote article after article. And a lot of them also went viral about these different issues that we that you know that were really causing harm. And as a healthcare professional in my ethics classes, I remember we were taught do no harm. <laughs> and I'm like, we're we're the point where we're doing harm. So like that piece is very eye-opening, I think, for people is like, because you're doing this, it's, this is happening, connecting yeah. the dots for teachers. And we are now, in 2017, a thing I didn't mention was that the schools were knocking on my door. And I'm here I am running summer camps. And I'm like, no, we're not, go, we're not dealing with the schools. Are you kidding me? Like, that's like a mess, right? But yes. they, you know, like that was something that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to pay attention to this. So we started training schools in 2017. And that's been so eye-opening because there's so much, so much fear about kids missing out on academics to do these rich, authentic play experiences that are, that are really designed to create change in the child in a way you cannot replicate in a classroom setting. And you cannot replicate in a therapy setting. Like what, what we do at Timbernook is you know, like I, I even want to, like, I've been reaching out to our own, my own profession as occupational therapist. Like I abandoned like one-on-one protocols and stuff to do this because 
that was working on things I could not do one-on-one with the child. Like that environmental piece was so powerful, so motivating. And through authentic play, they were overcoming fears and doing things that you you couldn't even, you can't do. And same in the classroom environment, but there's this fear of like, well, we're going to sacrifice these little tiny things. Like we're working on fine motor, we're working on this, but like through a play experience, they're working on all of that and more all at once. And so it's like at a higher level, it's very interesting what's happening yeah no i 100 percent get that and i you know to me i mean i because i have the a strong waldorf background because i went to waldorf school as as a child you know they they have kind of a completely different view where they're the last thing they're worried about in early childhood is you know whether the children are prepared academically because because there's these like stages i guess they see where it's like, this is the right stage. This is the right age and stage for them to learn these things. And if you skip over that and try to push the academics earlier, you actually are hurting the child developmentally rather than waiting till they're older to understand, you know, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue or whatever stuff, you know, they need to know about that they determine with a bunch of suits in a room somewhere, I guess. I mean, what what was that like, you know, teaching or were you just, were you teaching at like at a superintendent or principal level or was it with teachers? How, how did that feel going in there? Mm, so while well, we certify schools to do Timberduck and it's really what we've learned is like the whole, you know, like um, the teachers need to be on board, right. <laughs> the administrators need to be on board the board needs to be on board there's just so many players and so I think that's why it's such a complex issue but we have you know something like a beautiful testimony from it's it's a local Lakoni Christian Academy trained Mm -hmm. with about five years ago and they have a powerful testimony of incorporating Timbernook and making time for it and trusting the process and then increasing the time of Timbernook which is the opposite of what most schools are doing, right? They're taking away recess. Well, this school went from two hours of Timbernook time during the school week, like as part of the curriculum, every single grade got Timbernook during the school day for two hours a week. Then they increased it the second year to five hours of Timbernook time each grade from pre-K all the way to fifth grade. And what they looked at the data and they saw they did not see a decrease in their academic scores. If anything, it increased. And they also increased the recess from half an hour to an hour because of this. So this is in addition to Timberduck. So five hours of Timberduck, an hour recess every day. And then they also, if they have a field trip, they don't sacrifice their Timberduck time. So for them to value that time so much tells you something. But we have we have a video. I'll have to give send it to you. So if people want to watch and hear the teachers talk about like some of them were skeptics. They're like, I yeah. didn't I didn't think this was going to work. And then there was like therapists talking about how it's working on physical therapy and OT like in an authentic way um, in their school. So that was pretty powerful to hear that for teachers that tend to be fearful and not give something enough time to work. They did right. that. Right. It's kind of like what happens in our political system. Mm-hmm. today where you know we have like these two sides and they each kind of will say oh we're going to do this thing and and you know in order to make a change in it and see results in it it's going to take like five years yeah they don't but they don't really say that they don't say this the full impact of this will be felt in whatever 2028 20, or something they don't say anything they just go look at what we passed 
And then the other side turns around, they get in charge and then they go, we're going to defund it. We're going to get rid of that because that's stupid. And look at it, it's not even working. And it's like, well, of course it's not working because it needs time. Yes. And, and so what happens is that we have this like dysfunctional, Mm-hmm. you know, like two headed monster that just keeps going back and forth. And then guess who's suffering? Like all the rest of us. But, yeah. I mean, and that's, I guess that's like, that's the world we're in right now. But what's, what's amazing is that you just need a few schools to pilot, yeah. you know, this experience. The the thing that I was really interested in uh, talking to, and I asked, I wanted to ask you about, I know about, I mean, it's gotta be like, like five years ago, maybe a little bit more. I remember reading an article in The Guardian over in the UK, and they were talking about how occupational therapists over there were saying that they were having children come in at pre-K levels, and they were finding that they these children couldn't stack blocks, that they were having trouble stacking blocks. But they said, we did, we did when we kind of traced it back, it was that the, the children in families weren't doing enough play, but they could swipe right or they could, you know, yeah. hit buttons on a iPad or, a, you know, a tablet, but they couldn't do some of these, you know, kind of things that involve your, their fingers and moving their wrists and having balance and coordination. And I remember reading about that and thinking that is like really, they said it was something like, a, you know, 200% increase over a period of a couple of years. And they were just really really alarmed by that trend because they said it's not like you can you know at when you're 22 you can go back and go well i guess i'll start stacking blocks now they were like once that stage is missed mm-hmm. you're it affects you for maybe the rest some of these things are the rest of your life now i mean i don't do a lot of block stacking on a daily basis personally but it's just like there's is there is there something similar that you're seeing or or whatever that is being impacted here in America in that same way or oh yeah every, I don't, I don't every, know everything I mean I'll just give you one example that's, yeah. that's similar to that is you know like we so we have all these different senses and one sense that's being profoundly you know affected is the proprioceptive sense which is like the senses and the joints and muscles you'll hear occupational therapists talk about how important it is for kids to have heavy work which is push-pull activities and if you think about it, if they're on electronics all the time, <laughs> you're not getting any resistance to those joints and muscles. So it's going it's going to affect child development. And that's the sense that helps children know where their limbs are in relation to each other. But how much force to use when playing games like tag without hitting too hard or holding a baby chick without squeezing the chick or the frog and yeah. writing with a pencil while breaking the lead every time. And again, we use heavy work. And if you think about outdoor play, there's a lot of natural heavy work being done. You know, you pick up a huge stick to build a fort and you're getting nice resistance to those joints and muscles. Climbing tree, nice resistance to the joints and muscles. You know, pushing the lawnmower, you know, doing outdoor chores, all of that helped us develop those joints and muscles. So we're starting to get to the point where they're banning tag. Because or coming up with two finger touch rules at schools because kids are hitting so hard. And so instead of just taking things away, we really want to understand why are many kids coming, you know, demonstrating some of these issues of, you know, being more, quote, aggressive. And a lot of times they're just not getting as much heavy work. They're not playing outdoors for hours at a time. Right, right. It's not their fault that they 
you know, it's not, it's not contributed to an emotional issue that they have or something where, yeah. 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 So yeah, that's absolutely. one example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is that you've kind of, I mean, I've taught wilderness education to older children for like all of my adult life, basically. And, you know, most of the time it was, it's just been like, Hey, your kids need nature and we're teaching you these skills. And, but it, it, it be, kind of becomes skills focused. Like, you know, here's these methods of making fire and tying knots and putting up a tent or building a shelter or all these things that are really awesome. But it's sort of a standalone thing in a way, because it's not, how do I say it's not, it's, it's harder to then integrate that into say a school, you know, there's no, you know, elementary school that's like, Hey, we want you to come in and offer this all the time. But, but what I've been seeing a lot is, is this in just in doing this podcast, I'm seeing a lot of things where when we marry, so to speak, or partner with a, a, an already established professional field like say the occupational development of children with play you get a lot more traction a lot faster mm-hmm. because now you have something that people can understand so most mm-hmm. people don't know those wilderness skills so therefore they don't really know the power of them so therefore they don't go oh yeah that's fine or that's great let's do it instead you have to kind of in a way say hey let's do play and then or let's marry nature with English and do writing, creative writing or history or earth yes. science or something, right? So in other words, you have to kind of, in a way, it, it has to have something, I guess it's like a spoonful of sugar making the medicine go down or something. Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. I think, I think those skills are really, like, really essential. Like we actually, there's a program not far from us that we you know, Irish, they come over here and we go over there and we have kids that do both programs for very different reasons. Like those skills are like, that's great. You know, building fires from scratch, building shelters, all of that. They're, they're essential. They're, you know, but I think you kind of like really drew attention to like some of the, some of the skills you learn through play are generalized over into everyday life, like maybe on a more frequent basis. Right. So like, Through play, you learn to um, learn conflict resolution with other kids because you want to keep the play going. So you're really motivated to work it out with other children. And it's it's kind of like social skills, right? Like, so you, <laughs> which is a fun, like 100%. a really fundamental skill. Like, 100%. it's great to like do survival skills, but like this is almost even more fundamental. And what's so scary is kids are on screen so much. Now we're losing. Now we're getting socially awkward. <laughs> children so it's almost like it's a critical it's a critical skill now that we need to go in and like a lifeline and and um allow kids to practice these what we kind of took for granted (laughs) uh, skills through play yes exactly yeah i what i what it seems like is also happening is that there are more and more schools that are just looking at what what's going on with the children yes they're that they're supposed to be working with you know eight hours a day and they're looking and going, yeah, our, the system we've been using is not working. And yeah. so a lot of teachers are leaving because they're like, I can't keep doing this every day and and just struggling, seeing the children struggle. And so yeah. y- I, we're seeing more and more schools that are just kind of like, they're not necessarily saying like, hey, we're failing at this, <laughs> but they're more like, hey, we'd like to look more into the forest school model, or we'd like to look at that and see maybe that's something we could do or try. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so it's really, to me, it's very encouraging because it's much easier to negotiate a plan of how it's going to work if right. if that that other party is actually invested in doing the whole thing, right? Because oh, oh if yeah, if they only do if they only did part of it, it wouldn't <laughs> really work. Absolutely, that and that's the key is like they really need to know, you know, what they're getting into, and then like they need to put effort into it. Like everything that's worth doing takes effort and time. And if yes. you don't, you know, like and if people don't value it, they're going to throw it out. And so like, we really need to open eyes to the worth of this work. And that's, that's the key to everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm curious in a way, like, like down to what does a school, if a school is like interested in doing this, do they contact you and say, Hey, you know, could you come out, do a presentation to our to our whole, you know, how, how do you get all those people on board? Like, yeah. is that something that you do or do you have somebody you've trained and then they go and kind of do the heavy lifting on it? So that's a good question. It depends, it depends on the school, but oftentimes it does involve, like I usually do a keynote address and I, and I open eyes, like, because yes. once your eyes are open, it's hard to go back. Cause you feel, you're like, this is what we're doing is not working. We've had people like do balance and barefoot as a book study and go, okay, we need to create change. I, but the biggest piece is opening eyes to the problem, the underlying issues. Yeah, right. And 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 the teachers cannot usually relate to it because they're seeing it a lot yeah. every day. So when they sort of yeah get the the lay of the land, it's sort of like re pre reading a field guide and then taking kids out and then they're like, hey, look, there's a scarlet tanager because I saw it in the field guide. Like they're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, well that's what that's actually called. And and oh my gosh, that's actually a bad thing that that's showing up or not scarlet yeah. tanagers, but you know, that you, you're kind of like calling out certain behavior or certain, uh, you know, situations that, that are, that are presenting and they're able to then make that connection and hopefully get on board then and, yeah. and feel good. And you, it seems like you have enough evidence or, you know, track a track record of success that that it can kind of be reassuring because it's always scary to be the first one right so oh yeah the credibility behind it yeah we are researching again with the university of new hampshire the child study program is now going to be doing timbernook at the university and so they have all these departments that are you know like we can tap into in students which is huge because it's really important to have ongoing data yes. <laughs> and to come back with that um, but something you said actually relates to this is, you know, the satisfaction that there's a lot of teachers leaving, right? So one of the first things we're researching is, you know, the impact on education, the educator's satisfaction in their job again. And that that's actually what our focus is. This year for research is the impact of Timbernook on the educators' well-being. Like, so we forget sometimes about the teachers. Like, we're always talking about the children's well-being, like, but it, but on them as well. Yeah. Have you been, what, what has that been showing? Are, are you just, you've been getting obviously anecdotal things where, you know, teachers send you an email going, Oh, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, we, we haven't started the research. We just, this okay. is our, our, our new initiative for this year. Um, but we do have a lot of anecdotal information. Um, people like we've actually had people that said they stopped taking anxiety medication by when they started Timbernock, like finding joy in their work again. Um, so it's just, 
it's really fascinating to, I think it feels good to provide something for children that you know is good for them. Oh my, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. You feel like this is happening. It's good. I'm actually not the bad guy anymore trying to yeah. enforce a system that's just insane mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm not picking on co- public schools, but right, I'm right. just saying it's not public schools or the teachers, but it's a system that just doesn't seem to work. And yeah. it, let's face it, it's very difficult to get change yeah. in a system like that. It's really designed not to, like academics is designed to protect itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's that it fights. <laughs> And it, it seems like a lot of schools will start initiative and then they give up in a year. And they like, again, just making sure to give it time is so key. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, that's really wonderful to hear about the teacher part of it, because I mean, so many times you just want to, you just want to hear that there's hope, right? And, and then when you actually start putting that into play, into play or putting it into practice, what a great feeling it must be to suddenly go, hey, I don't have to quit my job. And you know, necessarily start a whole forest school or do do something different and then be in competition with the school or whatever. I can just keep doing what I've been trained to do, but I can do it differently and we can get the results we're looking for. So, I mean, that's really the goal, right? To be able to make it affordable. It's free to all the children exactly. in the system. So yep, definitely. What a, that, I mean, like what you're talking about is just incredibly change driven. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, yeah. you know, because you have something that has been, that has worked, that has been proven to work. It's still being proven to work and it's happening, not just for the children, like you said, but yeah. hopefully we'll get that data back on them, how the teachers are looking at it and then maybe get it to be something where we can then go to superintendents and go, Hey, you know, do you want to win? Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to put this on your resume? Cause yeah. it seems like superintendents oftentimes are more interested in making sure that they protect themselves a little bit hmm. than you know, that if there's something that's risky, they're like, hey, I don't want to have 20 yeah. parents angry at me on my watch. And then that might impact my career. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if we can demonstrate that that they'll have the opposite effect, they're going to be the hero that'll be good for them. So hopefully that's happening as well at that at that administrative level, because everything sort of can kind of live and die <laughs> at that brick wall, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned risk too, um, because like that's that's another barrier is like liability and fear. It's all fear related. It's all right. <laughs> and it's ironic because we are restricting kids so much out because uh, we're trying to keep them safe, but now they're becoming unsafe. Like they they don't know where their body is in space. They're becoming more clumsy because we're keeping them from doing that. And so again, the truth is they need challenge they need to yeah. challenge bodies in their minds and we need to let go of some of our fear and that yeah. that's hard to do for educators but but it's important yeah that's true and i, I know i linda mcgurk who uh is the rain or shine mama on uh oh, yeah, yeah. instagram she wrote she wrote her books um she was talking to me a few like a month or so ago and sharing about how in europe they they just have a very different culture. So their culture isn't as, you know, inclined to sue people. Mm-hmm. And they they don't, they understand childhood risk and that, yeah, sometimes you do have children who, you know, stumble out of a tree and then twist their ankle. And that that's just, that's okay. It's not, it's not the reason to shut everything down. Oh, definitely. Start blaming everyone or whatever. Right. Yeah. 
And so she was just talking about how the culture had, you know, really supports it and wants this and, and sees it as just a natural thing. And then in America, we've just kind of gotten very, what's the word? Like, yeah, fear, risk adverse, right? Everything is just how do you minimize every bit of possible risk in any possible way? And, 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 and at first it sounds like that probably sounds really good. You're like, oh, that'll be really good. We'll be safer. Everything will be better. But, but then eventually it catches up to you Mm -hmm. where the reason, the underlying reasons of why it's not good suddenly go, okay, now here's the price we pay. We we did this trade-off, but now we, we don't have that. Yeah. The other issue with schools is a lot of it is not a real environment. Like it's all, (laughs) it's all like, um, you know, plastic and, or like paper and nothing is real world. And so it's hard for skills to generalize over into other environments. So like, so that's another thing that it's really important and to allow them to have a lab where they're in a real environment and have to figure things out is really critical. Yeah. Man, you must be working on a lot of levels, right? So you have like probably, <laughs> yeah. you know, like analyzing, but what is the best, you know, the objects to have for play and well, oh, here, this school did this and they had a big tree that fell down and they kept the tree and they're like, okay, well, hey, maybe we need to put trees in the middle of a playground or whatever it is. It's just like a constant analyzing and trying to help it, you know, improve and you know, share those discoveries with them, with everyone. So yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And when you are doing uh, these, this whole idea of like working with this, with occupational therapists, is there uh, any, any of them currently that are also saying, Hey, we like this play model. We're going to then change that field going backwards towards your, your original (laughs) plan. Yeah, well, so I feel like I would say half of our Timberlake providers, so people that do this privately for yeah. communities are occupational therapists. I think it's it really resonates right. with our profession um, because authentic occupation is a choice and um, it brings us back to our roots as, as therapists. So like we, you know, again, the biggest occupation for if for children is play and outdoor play is so rich and but I think it's interesting because we've gotten really far away from it as well. Like we'll take a child and we'll be like, we're going to spin you 10 times this direction, 10 times that. And then we're going to do this. And it was very adult directed, or you're going on this obstacle course and it's a plastic balance beam and comparing that to watching a child walk on a log compared to the plastic balance beam, like just that image alone, um, is, is pretty eye-opening for therapists. I think they also need to take a step back and go, okay, both are considered a sensory experience. This plastic balance beam with little pickies on it that's engineered to be sensory. And then a child walking on a log, let's say over a creek. Now, which, but if our objective is to create change to the senses, which one do you think will be more conducive to that? Right. And when I speak engagements, everyone's always like on the, you know, the one on the log. And I'm like, but why? So taking them deeper, like, you know, yes. when you walk on the log, it moves. So you're going to work on dynamic balance. Like the the little uh, feet are gripping onto the log because it's more challenging. So you're working on the muscles more, you yeah. know, you have multiple senses you know, senses engage, right? Wind, bird sounds. So it's giving you spatial awareness. There's multiple things happening. So your chances for sensory integration, organization of the brain is going to be higher than you work on a plastic 
you know, plastic balance beam. The other thing is just because you walk in a plastic balance beam doesn't mean it generalizes over to the real world, right? It doesn't mean you're going to go walking on dirt (laughs) or, you know, all of a sudden be barefoot camping. But if you're walking on that log, chances are that's going to generalize over into other real environments. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What a great thing that you're doing, uh, you know, just because by, by bridging the gap of, you know, and bringing the occupational therapy therapist's perspective to it, it it just it's it's so much more validated than like someone who just goes yeah well of course it's natural you know everyone gets it you know i and it, there's so many times you'll see something and it's like okay look they were there was a study done and it mm-hmm. said that being outside was good or something and i remember just going like every time i see that i think <laughs> i think like you spent how much money on that <laughs> Like I'm over here and I haven't been on vacation in like two years and you're, and you spent, you know, $400,000 to say, yeah, we studied, uh, you know, 500 people and we found nature was good and beneficial. And I'm just going like, oh God, he's got <laughs> like right? like, come on, yeah. Rick, seriously. Yeah. And, and at the same time, some data alone doesn't do it. That's the problem. I always think is that if if we just read an article or or believed right. the data of something, we'd all be in perfect shape. We'd all have perfect relationships. Yeah. Our kids would be perfect. We'd be yeah. all you know brainiac geniuses or something yeah. because we'd listen to the right music in utero and we'd do all the things. But so data alone doesn't quite really do it. Somehow you need this bridge, and and you're bridging that. And so I'm just. I'm just really, I feel, I feel really grateful for the work you're doing oh, to, you. to open people's eyes because you really do have a unique, you know, you're in a unique position to do it. Yeah. And, and, and maybe if it's even different than doctors, like I know doctors will say, uh, you know, oh yeah, go outside or something. And like nobody seems to listen to doctors, right? They're like, stop smoking. Like, no. Nope. <laughs> People, yeah. hey, you should lose a few pounds. No, not, people aren't going to do those things, right? No one listens to doctors, but but for what you're doing, it's really tied into the children, and it's like, this is what's going to happen. You know, these are the these are the stories of what what will happen when they don't get that play. Yeah. And you brought something up to this very. What I found is people almost need to experience it firsthand, and so right. that's one of the powerful things about what we're doing too is like, for instance, we had a Merrill shoe company came out, they had their design team and they did a Timurnic experience. They did a giant ball run out there and the adults and they, you forget. (laughs) They were like climbing trees. They were trying to make their, their balls go faster. And so there was a lot of leadership, tying knots, like all the, and like, so to have a play experience and step back and, and then start evaluating all the therapeutic you know, um, potential yeah. and, and the educational potential and, and an experience like, like is really eye opening. but sometimes people have to experience it. So yes. that's a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems like, like there are a lot of, like, like you said, there are people that are invested in this whole thing. So you have like the outdoor companies yeah. who want people to get outside. I mean, obviously they'll sell more raincoats and more shoes and more stuff. Yeah. So it's somewhat selfish, but at the same time, a lot of people that are working in like a sh- outdoor shoe company are really passionate outdoors people who care about it and want to make it easier and make it more effective. Like 
Like it's so easy. I don't know. In America, we really have a way, a bad way of like just bashing anything corporate. It's just like, oh, you just want our money. Like as if anybody else doesn't want it. Right. But, yeah. but we're, they don't realize that there, there are good people in every field. Right. And that they're not just, you know, it's not just self-serving. It's oh yeah, absolutely. for the greater good. It can be a win-win for everybody. Oh, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, this is awesome. I'm loving this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> I, I kind of want to go and like have an, an adult experience with Timber yeah. just to play. Like, honestly, who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, is there anything coming up for you this winter that um, you'd want to share and let people know about any places that, uh, or any pro program or anything you'd want to promote or how do we get a hold of you? Anything like that? We are piloting Timberlake Air Force Base. So that would be really, that's a really exciting thing. I just wow. think those cool. families really, I just think all children need this right now. But, you know, yeah. obviously those families are constantly in transition. So that's going to be therapeutic, you know, and then the, you know, the research on the impact on the school culture is is really key. You yeah. you can find us obviously through the website um, and uh, Timberlake on on uh, Facebook, we try to do a lot of articles or make connections between outdoor play and how it's affecting children. So if they want to follow that, but I will share that video. I think that, I think it gives people hope that testimony yes. from that school because they are doing it. Like, so they're yes. all, all the time. We, oh, we can't do it, but they are doing it. And they're a very academic oriented school. Like, and for sure. them to do that was, you know, it's a big pretty, deal. Yeah. 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 I, I always think that like education works best when we're all taking risks, but when we're yeah. taking the right risks, yes, you know, because then you kind of feel alive. I know yeah. I'm teaching the same thing I've taught over and over and over again. Sometimes it's just easy to get into a funk about it and just. Oh, absolutely. Or you can get discouraged and like that, that's the last thing we want is to just stay down. We want to get back up again and start again. And that's and right. Find the that's hope. right. Yeah. I've been really impressed with the military over the last like the last 10 years, I, I mean, my family was very anti-Vietnam because I'm old, right? So right, right. Yeah. I, I remember being a little kid during the Vietnam War and I'm and having like my parents go to demonstrations and just being like the military, blah, blah, blah. It was always kind of in the back of my mind as, you know, a problem or whatever. And I'm sure that's still to some degree, maybe true, whatever, like everything's complicated. But I've been really impressed with how they are so forward thinking with their commitment to, you know, building a, a strong country and they're, you know, they've been planning for climate, climate change for, you know, 20 years. So like, they're not, they're not like, oh, we denied it and we don't care. Like they're, they're not really as political as people might think at all. You know, like they're really thinking long-term about that. And the fact that they're even thinking about including like Timbernook um, pro programming and stuff like that for their families and everything is just, to me, that's really it really wonderful. And so I've been very impressed uh, that and happy to hear that, you know, my, my narrow programming that I got from my grandmother and my mom, or everybody is a little tempered with some of the other realities of some good, really good things that have happened. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad that you you're doing that program. I'm excited to hear about it as well. Thank you again. This is just fantastic. I, I love it. I'm going to definitely check out more about what you guys are doing and what your training's like and everything too. So well, thank yeah. you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, have a great, have a great rest of your day.
And uh, thanks again. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.